Live around the globe, it's time for Rudy Max's World on the SSI Radio Network. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. Travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Get on the phone now and call 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. And now, the savvy traveler himself, Rudy Maxa. Welcome to what we immodestly like to call America's favorite radio travel show. I'm Rudy Maxa, a.k.a. The Savvy Traveler, your genial radio show host. And every weekend at this time, we take a wide-ranging look at travel. If this is the first time you've heard the show, well, let me quickly introduce myself. I'm a former Washington Post reporter. I worked there 12 years as an investigative reporter and columnist, then nine years as a senior writer at the City Magazine. They're called The Washingtonian, and about 20 years ago, I began writing on consumer travel issues. Don't ask me why. I don't know. It wasn't part of a plan. Um, and for four years, I hosted a public radio weekend show called The Savvy Traveler. I began hosting and producing shows for public television. Today, I've got 91 half-hour episodes on the world's great destinations. You can find the DVDs and Blu-rays on those, of those shows at maxa.tv. So, I am not a travel agent. I'm not here to sell you any trips. I want to educate and entertain you by bringing you interesting guests and what might allow you to travel smarter, save some money, maybe even travel in your mind, because I'm a big believer in traveling in your mind. Toward that goal... We're going to talk this hour with a, a very distinguished list of guests, beginning with Andy Pastor. He's a reporter with the Wall Street Journal. He's going to take a hard look at the future of commercial space travel. You know, a couple of companies are promising the possibility that we can pay a lot of money to go up into at least to the edge of space as early as this year. Andy uh, has some thoughts on that. Then as Europeans and Asians zip around on high-speed trains, Americans ride the rails at appallingly low speeds. Journalist and professor Tom Zollner has a new book out called Simply Train. And he says, we can have high-speed trains, but only on very specific routes. And how do you travel differently from your parents? Well, Rob Harper, Director of Business Development with NAMU Travel Group, explains why the story, and I put that in quotes, is the thing now, and why social websites play such an important role in determining our vacations today. About 40 after the hour, we'll uh, talk with the author of a book on life in one of the world's more exotic travel destinations, Mongolia. Uh, Lisa Carter, the author says maybe it's time to visit traditional Mongolia before it gives away to the 21st century. Add some great travel deals at the end of the hour. We call it a travel show. A couple pieces of news before we get to uh, Andy. Uh, Asiana Airlines has fined half a million dollars for not responding in a professional way following that botched landing at San Francisco's airport last July. Remember that? Three people died in the accident. 180 were injured. The Fed said, said it took up to five days for Asiana to contact families involved in the crash. The airline said it was hampered by not having many staff members in the U.S. to help. But the Department of Transportation said the airline should have hired local media or PR counsel in San Francisco. Now, every airline is required by the government to have a family assistance plan in the event of an accident. Asiana said it's revising its operations to conform better to that requirement. It also took the airline more than 18 hours to establish a dedicated phone line that would allow family members of passengers to call the airline. I'll have a little more news this hour, but first I'd like to introduce you to Andy Pastor. He's a special senior special reporter at the Wall Street Journal. He's got a slightly less optimistic view on when we're going to be able to pick up frequent flyer miles by going straight up in the sky in a rocket ship. Welcome to the show, Andy. Nice to be with you. All right, let's start with this. Who are the two or three principal players who right now are promising space travel to the general public in the very near future? At this point, I would say the two companies that seem to be furthest ahead are Virgin Galactic, which is uh, Sir Richard Branson's uh, 
company where they are actually testing a vehicle and uh, supposedly uh, planning to take uh, the first commercial passenger up by the end of the year. And Sir Richard has actually said he and his family members uh, are planned to be on the first flight. The second company is also based in uh, Mojave, California, um, and it's a company called XCOR. They're the budget version of uh, space travel, smaller spacecraft, not as high, not really into space, just close to space, smaller, uh, shorter time up in, the, up in, um, in, in that area with uh, weightlessness. And uh, both of them have been working for many years, have been delayed for several years, and I think it's fair to say they, they have significant technical, regulatory, logistics, and safety issues uh, still to conquer. Well, you mentioned in the Wall Street Journal piece I wrote, which is why I asked you to come aboard the show today, uh, about regulatory and safety features, that it's sort of interesting that Boeing comes out with a new aircraft and it's supposed to be rigorously tested uh, by the federal government to make sure it uh, conforms to certain safety standards. But there are no real safety standards for these, these uh, spacecraft, are they? Well, that's right. Only the most rudimentary kind of standards. Uh, this was part of the effort by Congress and proponents of the space, space tourism industry to try to um, promote um, uh, innovation and to try to help the industry grow. And so the idea was and remains that uh, the travelers will be uh, doing so at their own risk, that they'll have to sign all sorts of waivers. And in effect, the government says, you have to realize this is an experimental, dangerous thing that you're about to do, and if something really bad happens, uh, you can't blame us. Now, I believe the most interesting part of this whole equation is going to be, there are going to be accidents, fatal accidents, for sure. There's no doubt about that. And if you compare what the government does in, in commercial aircraft when um, really we're talking about several fatal accidents per tens of millions of flights, whereas we may have a fatal accident in a, you know, a half a dozen or hopefully not that few, but who knows, uh, or a dozen flights of these commercial vehicles, it'll be very interesting to see how the proponents of the industry and lawmakers and safety experts deal with that. And that's really an open question, even if these companies manage to do what they say they're going to do at roughly the time they say they're going to do it, they really have to face this huge um, question mark of my bet, uh, what happens if something goes bad. Well, my bet is one disaster, and they shut the whole thing down for a while, because using people who are paying a quarter of a million dollars, in the case of Virgin Galactic, to go up to the edge of space, as basically, remember in the early days of when we would send up satellites, we would, you know, we put monkeys in there. Right. Not that the monkey's <laughs> life is worth any less. You know, so sort of sending up people who are paying a quarter million dollars as, as test pilots or test passengers, I think crew sounds... Crew members, Rudy. They're supposed to be crew members. But, Got it. Uh, you know, yeah. Well, what do you it's... think? when you Give the overview before I say goodbye to you because this is much too short a segment. The over, what, what are your thoughts on this? What, if you were president or you were emperor of the world, what would you say? Well, I think proponents say this is going to be like the golden age of aviation after the Wright brothers, that there's going to be this flowering of innovation and, and, and dozens of entrepreneurs and hundreds of flights per week. I think that's really still unclear. The technical issues are not insignificant, and um, it, it's not at all clear that these companies will be able to launch as rapidly and as frequently as they say they will, and that things will go as uh, they say. There will be an industry, there will be space tourism, in the next 15 or 20 years, I think it'll be a significant, uh, interesting sort of side segment of the aviation or the aerospace industry. But I don't believe it's going to grow anywhere as near as nearly as fast as the really the, the proponents have uh, have sketched out for us. 
Well, Andy, if uh, Sir Richard Branson does get one off the launching pad before the end of this calendar year, I think we're, we're, you and I are going to have to talk about this again, don't you? Well, that's absolutely right, and he, they, they insist that they can do it this year, and they have a new engine, and they're refurbishing or, or putting in the internal, the, the internal parts of their uh, spaceship for the passengers. So we'll just, we'll just have to see. It's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a fast-changing area, but I think one that your listeners should, should have some, you know, some um, uh, questions about. It. It's not as clear-cut as the, the, the proponents would have you believe. Well, we just got educated in these few minutes. Thanks to you, Andy Pastor. Andy Pastor is a reporter with the Wall Street Journal. He covers this field, among other things. Andy, thank you for uh, uh, explaining this to us. Absolutely. My pleasure. When we come back here in Rudy Max's world, uh, we're going to ask an expert, why the heck don't we have any high-speed trains in the United States? Rudy Max's world phone lines are open now, so call us at 800-387-8025. We'll be back after these messages. Travel rewards usually take forever to earn and even longer to redeem. Introducing Orbitz Rewards, the instant approach. Earn and redeem rewards instantly. Book a flight, use the rewards right away for your hotel. Book your hotel and use the rewards to stay longer. Book a package, well, you get the picture. Earn even more when you book using the Orbitz app. 5% on hotels, 2% on flights. Join today and get instant vacation gratification. Go to Orbitz.com rewards. That's Orbitz.com rewards or visit RudyMaxa.com under sponsors. Now here's something you don't hear on the radio every day. Someone who can't see. I am totally blind. So I go through periods when I'm unable to sleep at night. And I feel like I'm constantly running, but can never quite catch up. But this isn't a sleep problem. It's something called non-24-hour disorder. Learn more about non-24 by calling 855-856-2424 or visiting learnmorenon24.com. Suffering from allergy congestion? On my nature walks, I couldn't smell the flowers or breathe in the fresh spring air. Then I discovered Allegra D. Allegra D decongests and depressurizes with a fast, non-drowsy antihistamine, plus a powerful decongestant for 24 hours of congestion-free breathing. Now I don't just appreciate nature. I breathe it all in. Allegra D. Stop suffering. Start breathing. <sighs> Look for Allegra D at the pharmacy counter. Starts working in one hour. Use only as directed. Visit Allegra.com. Ron Delano, Attorney Houston. If you've been diagnosed with mesothelioma, you may be entitled to a tax-free share of billions of dollars that have been set aside for mesothelioma cancer patients. Second-hand asbestos exposure can also cause mesothelioma. Many patients were exposed to asbestos and didn't even know it. Call right now to get the facts about your legal rights and possible financial compensation. Call 800-764-3000-800-764-3000-800-764-3000. The telephone number to call the program is 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or visit the show online at rudymaxa.com. Here again is Rudy Maxa. 18 minutes after the hour, this segment of Rudy Max's World is brought to you by Orbits.com, who would like to remind you that travel rewards, rewards, travel rewards usually take forever to earn and even longer to redeem. But with Orbits Rewards, you can redeem rewards instantly. 
Book a flight, use the rewards instantly for your hotel or toward the cost of your hotel. Book your hotel, use the rewards to stay longer. Earn even more when you book on the Orbitz app. 5% on hotels, 2% on flights. Check it out at Orbitz.com slash rewards and get instant vacation gratification. Instant gratification is not something that train lovers often get here in the United States of America. While uh, folks in Europe and Asia zip around in high-speed trains uh, connecting, I mean, you can leave after breakfast in London and have lunch in Paris thanks to high-speed trains in Europe and the and the channel that links the UK with uh, mainland Europe. Tom Zollner is a freelance journalist, and he's also a uh, an associate professor of English at Chapman University in Southern California. He joins me to talk about a new book he's written called Simply Train. And I, I'm turning to him to, to ask him yet again, why, why? I mean, we've had a president now for six years almost who, who came in office saying, we're going to get high-speed train. First of all, let's talk about the concept of high-speed trains. Why has it taken so long for us not to have any high-speed trains in the United States, Tom? Well, we can thank the United States Congress. We really uh, made a shift away from rail uh, uh, psychologically and financially after World War II. Uh, our rail lines had never been bombed, unlike in Europe. And... Uh, there was no need to repair them. The emphasis was on building our great system of interstate highways. <sighs> boy, oh boy. So now, you, I, I gather you assert in your book, Train, that that there actually are some places that high-speed trains work, yet we're not going to, in our lifetime, see a, a train zipping us from New York to L.A. Uh, well, not New York, L.A., but in our lifetime, I think that we're going to see uh, L.A., San Francisco uh, by 2028. Uh, the money's... Uh, the first part of the money is already there. There's uh, certainly a lot of support for it in California, and uh, if all things go well, they'll break ground on it next summer. Well, that's 14 years from now, and you're clearly younger than I am, Tom. <laughs> I may make it. I may make it, but uh, uh, I'm not going to be sprinting onto the train at that point. 14 um, years? I think that's easy. Oh, I hope so. Now, I lived forever in Washington, D.C. and New York, the two cities, and used uh, Amtrak always. And, and I sort of watched we go from Amtrak to the Metroliner, from the Metroliner to the Acela. And while the Acela looks sleeker than the previous two iterations, it still is hobbled by the track, isn't it? I mean, that's really, uh, for that northeast quarter, which is the busiest, I think, train train quarter between D.C., Baltimore, Wilmington, Philadelphia, New York, and Boston, uh, it's really all about not being able to get right away and lay high-speed track. Am I correct? That's correct, and that's part of the reason why XL is kind of a disappointment, because uh, the track restrictions just make it uh, inconceivable for that uh, machine to open up the way it's designed to do. There's only one 18-mile stretch in Rhode Island where it's able to attain its full speed. Uh, otherwise, it's got to slow down for track restrictions. It's got to share the rails with, uh, with, uh, with other trains, and it's not true high-speed rail. Well, is anyone on that East Coast corridor, and I'm focused on that because that's uh, business-wise, that's where the profit may be if there is any. Um, is there anyone out there Monday through Friday trying to buy real estate or straighten out the track or, in other words, carve a meaningful path for a high-speed train on the East Coast. Is there anyone doing that? The envelope already exists. You know, the uh, the, the land uh, has, is already sort of in the possession of the correct governments, unlike in California where there's a lot of eminent domain condemnation and therefore a lot of lawsuits. But in the East Coast, that rail corridor has been dedicated uh, practically since the uh, the invention of the railroad. So so you're saying that if, if, if they had the funds that uh, Amtrak could actually start hammering and constructing a, uh, 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 an adequate track for a high-speed train on the East Coast. 
You know, uh, it would take a lot of money. I mean, yeah. we're, we're we're talking about uh, at the minimum thirty million dollars a mile, and so uh, a lot of things would need to happen. But the the, the land envelope uh, does have some integrity there. Well, if they have the land envelope, what? Why is it thirty million a mile? Oh well, you've got to you know lay down first of all a, a very smooth rail bed. You've got to build overhead uh, electric catenaries. And uh, most expensive of all, you've got to build either tunnels or flyovers for all the the myriad little local roads that run into that mm. thing at a perpendicular angle. So it's it's ah. got to be nothing with those what are called grade crossings, you know, with the crossbars and the dinging bells. You, you can't have that with high-speed rail. Of course, I hadn't thought about that. And so when I when I when I see China, op- you know, opening up its high-speed um, <laughs> pressurized even because of the heights it has to reach, you know, high-speed train to Tibet from uh, capitals of the country, that is, they have that advantage in that it's wide open space and they don't have to go over or under cities or crossings, right? Well, yeah, in China, you know, you're talking about an autocratic government that can, you know, sort of draw rail lines wherever they want. You know, uh, they were able to lay down uh, 6,000 miles of high-speed rail within seven years and, uh, you know, oh do goodness. so uh, in a way that, uh, you know, suited their purposes. And they're impressive uh, to, to go over to China. You know, those well-traveled traveled, uh, listeners to the show who have been to China will know, like, what a what a sleek, neat ride that is. I mean, it's even a sleek, neat ride from Shanghai Airport into town. Uh, I, I yeah, that's a maglev. That's sort of a different animal, and it, it, oh. uh, it'll take even faster than high-speed rail, but that's not proven uh, economically viable for... Uh, for the kind of business travel that we're talking about. So that uh, I'm talking with uh, Tom Zollner. He's the author of a new book called Train from Viking Penguin. Um, his website is TomZollner.com. Zollner is spelled Z-O-E-L-I-N-E-R. Zollner. Excuse me, Z-O-E-L-L-N-E-R. Sorry, TomZollner.com. Well, Tom, so that... Uh, you said 7,000 miles for that that that, tra- that train to Tibet. Is that 7,000 miles? Did you say that? No, no, uh, 6,000 miles of high-speed rail uh, all over China. Oh, I see. Uh, the, 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 the line to Tibet is new, uh, but it is uh, actually not high-speed. It's uh, it's conventional diesel rail. Oh, it is. Okay. Well, so so if you were going from New York to LA in theory, I think it's probably less than 3,000 miles. So conceivably, if someone you know could autocratically say build it, it could be built. Oh yeah. There's no question. I mean, it's expensive, and once built, it would do very good work. Um, but in order to uh, make this somewhat elaborate omelet, you got to break a number of eggs. So, what is your book optimistic about high-speed rail? And if so, I, I gather you said when we first started talking, you think the first market will be San Francisco to L.A. And are there second and thir- tertiary markets? Are they second? Yeah, I see markets? basically four really sort of uh, money-making markets for, uh, or not exceptionally money-losing. I'll put it that way. Uh, markets for high-speed rail within the next uh, 30 to 50 years. Those are uh, L.A. to San Francisco, uh, Chicago, Minneapolis, uh, Dallas, Houston, and uh, New York, D.C. I happen to be familiar with the Chicago, uh, Minneapolis situation, and I believe we've got a governor in Wisconsin who has said, I don't want any part of this, and you got to go through Wisconsin to link Chicago and Minneapolis. So yeah, is... uh, Scott Walker's not a lover of, of, of high-speed rail, and, you know, there's a lot of political impediments, but the economics pencil out. I mean, when you look at that, uh, you know, Chicago-Minneapolis, uh, you know, corridor, you think of all the short-haul short, short flights that were running there. That's just so wasteful. Uh, yes. All that fuel just gone. And for, for just really a dinky flight, um, you know, that's that's not a job for an airplane. 
you know that, that that's really a rational job for a train and so these 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 do make sense they're 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 expensive they're probably not going to pay for themselves but they have uh, enormous external value plus i can you know attest they're a lot of fun to ride well, I was shocked when I moved to Minneapolis. I wanted to go to Chicago. I thought, well, I'll take the train. That's fun. And now it's stopping right outside my door. And I, it's a six-hour drive, by the way, between those two cities, maybe less if you go faster. Um, so I went and asked Amtrak. I said, well, how long take Chicago? And I think they told me eight or nine hours, three uh, hours I'm faster than driving. Uh, yeah, so it's and I'm, I'm surprised it's, it's actually that, that, that you know, uh, it short. Oh, uh, okay. It takes me 12 hours to get from uh, L.A. to San Francisco, and, and part of the reason for that, those listeners who have taken Amtrak will frequently have the experience of, you know, the train has to pull over while, you know, a freight sort of lumbers by. Amtrak doesn't own those rails. They're, they right. sort of exist at the pleasure of the uh, of the freight companies. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you are generally optimistic about it, because obviously you put a lot of work into writing an entire book called Train. I love the title, by the way. It's so simple. Oh, it's, it's elegant. Um, is there a subtitle of the book? Uh, there is. It's called Writing the Rails That Created the Modern World, From the Trans-Siberian to the Southwest Chief. And did you ride the Trans-Siberian and some others around the world? Yeah. Uh, this book is a world journey, uh, you know, sort of across the world on rails. And so it covers... Uh, I Hello? Think just, the Tom, uh, you there? Rudy, yeah, sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, so just, uh, you said you you rode, you rode the rails and it covered... Uh, yeah, eight different countries, uh, Britain, Peru, uh, China, India, uh, Russia, the Trans-Siberian, uh, nice. and of course the United States, Spain's high-speed rail. Very nice. I remember visiting India and learning that the Indian railroads were the largest emplo- largest employer of people in the entire country. Uh, not just that, the, uh, the entire uh, world, actually the eighth largest employer in the world. Oh, my goodness. Tom Zollner's book is called Train. Check it out. His website is TomZollner.com. Tom, thank you for coming in. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Be back in just a moment after this break. Call now to talk to Rudy Maxa at 800-387-8025. You can also email the show anytime at info at RudyMaxa.com. Travel rewards usually take forever to earn and even longer to redeem. Introducing Orbitz Rewards, the instant approach. Earn and redeem rewards instantly. Book a flight, use the rewards right away for your hotel. Book your hotel and use the rewards to stay longer. Book a package, well, you get the picture. Earn even more when you book using the Orbitz app. 5% on hotels, 2% on flights. Join today and get instant vacation gratification. Go to Orbitz.com rewards. That's Orbitz.com rewards or visit RudyMaxa.com under sponsors. Now, here's something you don't hear on the radio every day. Someone who can't see. I am totally blind. So I go through periods when I'm unable to sleep at night, and I feel like I'm constantly running, but can never quite catch up. But this isn't a sleep problem. It's something called non-24-hour disorder. Learn more about non-24 by calling 855-856-2424 or visiting learnmorenon24.com. Participate in the program, call now at 800-387-8025 or log on to RudyMaxa.com. Here's Rudy Maxa. Welcome back to Rudy Maxa's World. The best travel quote of the week I heard came from that satirical website called The Onion. The headline was, American Airlines to phase out complimentary cabin pressurization. 
Think about it. Terrific. Terrific. This is, of course, on the heels of people, of airlines charging for every little thing. Uh, so how do you travel differently than your parents did? Well, my next guest knows. His name is Rob Harper. He's the Director of Business Development with the NAMU Travel Group, and we reach him in his home in Panama. Rob, welcome to the show this weekend. Nice to have you here. Rudy, thanks for having me on. Greetings from a very busy and active carnival season here in Panama as well. How you doing? Panama has a carnival? They do, yeah. We've got a big one. You know, it's a, it's a smaller country. We've only got about 4 million people here, but just about the entire country kind of comes to a halt. Panama City gets busy. A lot of people head into the interior, sort of the heartland of the country, but it is quite popular, so we get more and more people that uh, may not be able to enjoy some of the uh, the beer festivities that you mentioned earlier on your program in New Orleans or in Rio, but uh, it is quite busy down here. Why the heck am I sitting in Los Angeles doing a radio show when I should be in Panama City doing it? That's it. And I tell you, I know I, I know when you're in Minneapolis. I would uh, I would tell you what the weather is like down here today. You know, it's coupled with a good carnival <laughs> season, but uh, it uh, it's nice. It's summertime down here, and we've got a lot of folks. It's fantastic. Well, just give me a, a one sentence on what is the NAMU NAMU? What is the NAMU Travel Group? Well, what we are is we're, we're a company that specializes in highly customized itineraries to the places that we book in Central America, Rudy. So we started about 15 years ago. We book in, in Nicaragua and in Costa Rica and where I am here in Panama. And what we try to do is we, we just really focus on unique experiences and stories. We like to say that we try to help people to discover what their travel personality truly is. We do that through customized itineraries, and then we walk, we do it through really what we call a concierge in-country client services, where when people are here 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, we're here if they need us. And so it creates a really customized experience, not like a one-size-fits-all for people that want to come down to these fantastic destinations and visit. All right. Well, when I teased you at the top of the hour, I said that one one way that millennials and even my generation, baby boomers, are traveling now compared to our parents are this insistence, subconscious or otherwise, on the story. What is the story? When you say that, what do you mean? You know, I think traditionally, and, you know, maybe go back a generation or two or three or what have you, traditionally, kind of what, you know, the, the traditional family vacation Rudy was, let's pack people up, let's pack them up in the car, let's go down to the beach, let's spend maybe a week or two together, perhaps even go to the same type of beach destination, or even when people travel abroad, you know, it may have been, let's go to Paris and take a, take a photo in front of the Eiffel Tower. We see that people don't want to do that quite as much anymore. Certainly those things are a lot of fun. But we're seeing more and more people that want to come down, and, and along with bringing really neat photos home from their vacation, they want to bring neat stories. They want to do more. So I'll give you an example. Somebody might come down to, to Panama, and they might say, you know, rather we, we want to tour the country for a week, but we want to, you know, we're bringing our two kids down, and we want to spend a couple of nights in a native indigenous village. Or we want to come down, and we know that there's an Ironman competition there every year, and we want to culminate our trip with running the Ironman competition. Somebody might come down and they might say, you know, I'm really into yoga. You know, and I want to go to Costa Rica or Nicaragua, and I want to come down and relax for a week. But it's not just that that I want to do. Maybe I want to go get, do a five-day intense yoga certification course. It's like they want to have more unique stories. They want to do more in addition to just seeing more. And do you find that they're more that they're spending more money to do this, or is this simply a shift in interest as opposed to a shift in cost? I, I think it's mostly a shift in interest. I really do. I mean, certainly there are some products out there. There's some fantastic hotels that do cost a little bit more, but there are great ways to budget travel and just focus on experiences. 
You don't have to spend four, five, six hundred dollars a night to say, I want to do something really unique and interesting. And I tell you something I've, I've heard you mention a couple of times, and I think that you're quite right that, that, you know, probably the biggest change for the travel industry, as in many over the last many years or a couple of decades, has been the internet. And now people just have so much information, you know, directly at their fingertips, some of which is good and sometimes produces a little bit of information overload. But people are finding out about so many different and unique experiences that there are to have out there that perhaps they weren't able to find before. They connect with people like us who are local, who have boots on the ground operations, that just have the knowledge, you know, not necessarily having to couple that with a lot of dollars, but has the knowledge to be able to put them in situations that are going to create the types of, of stories and experiences that they really want to have. What is your experience in the trustworthiness of crowdsourcing sites like TripAdvisor, where you've got you could have five thousand five hundred people weighing in on a particular resort or place or hotel? You know, that's a really really good question. I, I'll tell you first and foremost, it amazes me the percentage of clients. The percentage of people, just even folks that we talk with, whether they book vacations with us, with, with us or not, whether they're just learning a little bit from us, it's amazing the percentage of these people that will get out there and that will use these big sites, whether they be review sites like TripAdvisor, of course, the other obvious ones being the social media sites like Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. But so many people get out there and they're looking at them. And I think, I think that the verdict is still out on some of that stuff, Rudy. Only time is going to tell if these things, you know, really do produce some, some very good results or if there's some abuse going on with them. But people are looking at them. And I think that what's good about it is, I do, I do think that there is a lot of good that comes from it, that you have, you have access to look at so many more of these reviews that you didn't have an opportunity to look at before. Right. Um, hey, Rob, Rob, we're coming to the end of the hour, uh, end of the segment. It's a hard stop. i got to say thank you to Rob Harper. And his website, by the way, is namutravel.com, N-A-M-U, to check out more information. We'll be right back in just a moment. Rudy Max's world is coming right back. So get on the phone now at 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. You can also enjoy the program anytime at rudymaxa.com. Now, here's something you don't hear on the radio every day. Someone who can't see. I am totally blind. So I go through periods when I'm unable to sleep at night, and I feel like I'm constantly running but can never quite catch up. But this isn't a sleep problem. It's something called non-24-hour disorder. Learn more about non-24 by calling 855-856-2424 or visiting learnmorenon24.com. Ron Delano, Attorney Houston. If you've been diagnosed with mesothelioma, you may be entitled to a tax-free share of billions of dollars that have been set aside for mesothelioma cancer patients. Second-hand asbestos exposure can also cause mesothelioma. Many patients were exposed to asbestos and didn't even know it. Call right now to get the facts about your legal rights and possible financial compensation. Call 800-764-3000. 800-764-3000. 800-764-3000. Suffering from allergy congestion? On my nature walks, I couldn't smell the flowers or breathe in the fresh spring air. Then I discovered Allegra D. Allegra D decongests and depressurizes with a fast, non-drowsy antihistamine, plus a powerful decongestant for 24 hours of congestion-free breathing. Now I don't just appreciate nature. I breathe it all in. Allegra D. Stop suffering. Start breathing. Look for Allegra D at the pharmacy counter. Starts working in one hour. Use only as directed. Visit Allegra.com. 
You thought Boost Mobile had low prices before, but now they're dropping lower than ever for anyone switching to a Boost 4G LTE device by March 31st. Are the prices this low? Now, lower. $35 a month low. How about this? Now, try $35 a month for six months low. Wow, that's low. You're right, it's low. That's how Boost Mobile does it. They go $35 a month for six months low, all with unlimited talk, text, and data. Oh, baby, for only $35 a month? I'm down with that. Available at Boost Mobile, Best Buy, and Radio Shack. Boost Mobile, be heard. No, no, like this. <clears throat> Boost Mobile, be heard. Offer available 2614 to 331.14 at BoostMobile.com and select retailers only. Limited to new accounts and purchase a 4G LTE device. Rates increase after introductory rate. Coverage not available everywhere. Includes 2.5 gigabytes per month of high-speed data. See BoostMobile.com slash 35 plan or participating dealer for details. This eczema is driving me crazy. All I do is... No matter what I use on this dry, itchy red skin, I can't stop... Introducing the first eczema lotion from Cortisone 10. It contains the strongest non-prescription itch medicine to relieve the... Plus seven moisturizers to help heal severe dry skin. Once you start using it, you'll stop the... For good. Ah, that's better. New Cortisone 10 eczema lotion. Feel the heal. To participate in the program, call now at 800-387-8025 or log on to RudyMaxa.com. Here's Rudy Maxa. Welcome back to Rudy Maxa's World. There's a country I've been fascinated by for years, haven't been to, have a good friend uh, named Jack Weatherall who has written many books on Genghis Khan and the country of Mongolia. In fact, I think he lives there right now. And there's a new book out called Moving with the Seasons, a portrait of a Mongolian family. And I have the author of that book on. Her name is Lisa Carter with me. Lisa, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here. Thank you. Nice to be here. Back up a little and tell me about your fascination with Mongolia, how you wound up going over there and, and writing a book about uh, the seasons and the traveling uh, travelers of Mongolians, particularly those who live in the countryside. Sure. So... Um... The first thing that took me to Mongolia was actually camels. I'm an environmental scientist by training that I was there um, on a scientific expedition. But what really grabbed my heart and my attention was the nomadic people and the, the nomadic culture. I um, absolutely fell in love with the hospitality and the generosity and the way of life that exhibited such, such a sense of abundance even in the midst of what, by most standards, is incredible material scarcity. And well, Lisa, I came home, and I was just I was fascinated. I wanted to learn more about the culture, and I spent a lot of time doing research and, and really found that there was nothing written about it. So that was the genesis of my idea, and it's been a 15-year-long project. Um, wow. So you um, must know Jack Weatherall, then, or you certainly know I don't know him. him personally. I know, his, I know his work. I love his book on Genghis Khan. Right. So, uh, well, yeah, well let, he's an old friend of mine, and that's I remember. Fabulous. And I remember one of the stories he first told me. He's been trying to get me to come to Mongolia forever, and it's just a lack of time, not desire. Uh huh. He said that it is very customary if you're in the countryside, and uh, it is um, you know, lunchtime. You you can walk into someone's yurt without knocking. Basically, I guess is is the shorthand for this, and be invited to sit down to eat without, you know, calling ahead and booking a table, as it were. 
it, you know, you've, you've put your finger right on, on the key thing. It's absolutely true. There is this incredibly strong tradition of hospitality towards strangers. And so when you come across someone's gear, and yurt is actually a Turkish word. It's the word that people use in the U.S., but uh, gear is the Mongolian word. Ah, uh, yes, the right. That they live G-A-R, in. is it? G-E-R, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's G-E-R. It rhymes with G-E-R. bear. It's got a okay. hard G on it. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And I knew that tradition the first time I went, that you were just expected to walk into someone's gear, even if you had never seen them before. And I couldn't do it as an American. (laughs) You just couldn't bring yourself to... (laughs) My notions of privacy were so strong as just... Because it's not only that you're walking into someone's space, but it's, it's the space where everything happens. It's not like, you know, the public foyer in someone's house where, you know, you're walking into one circular tent where everything happens. It's eating, sleeping, socializing, working, cooking... Whatever. So, um, you know, that was an additional hurdle for me. And, you know, the first time I was there, I was camping with a family that I was, um, that became my collaborators in the process of documenting their way of life. And I would wait until someone else went in the gear before I would go into. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. And it wasn't until I was there in the wintertime and it was 40 below and there's no way I was waiting outside for someone else to show up to go in that I really was able to accept that, you know, they really were welcoming me into their home. And that was, um, That's very funny, having to overcome your American sensibility of not passing through that door without being invited. Now, how did you find the family to follow? And, And tell me about them. So I went over with with a image of a family that had a girl that participated in the long distance horseback races that are a really huge part of Mongolian culture. The Mongolian culture is very horse based, and one of the big celebratory things they have in, in the summertime during their their big festival called Natam, which is like the equivalent of our Fourth of July festival, are these long distance horseback races. And the jockeys are girl or not girls, but they're children from age six to thirteen. And I thought, okay, that would be a great visual to have as part of our family um, and, and this book, a um, family that had a girl that participated in this. So I went to a little town, and I positioned myself at the end. Well, I was first circulating around all the people that were participating and looking for sort of the perfect person, didn't find them. I positioned myself right at the, at the finish line. All these, you know, like 200 horses were galloping by me <laughs> at high speed as I was taking photographs. And... Then afterwards, as people were milling around, I saw this girl in a bright purple Dell. The Dell is a traditional garment, and that's my favorite color. She had this great beaming smile on. So I, you know, I waved her over and I held up my camera. I took a Polaroid picture of her, and and I just I knew that she was my girl. So I was working with a translator, and I asked where where she was camping, which was about a mile off. I would have never found her otherwise. And she rode off, and I just followed on foot. And you know, I came across this family who immediately jumped up because they were all excited about the Polaroid picture I had given them, and and there was lots of of more picture taking and sharing of biscuits and Eric and vodka and and everything. And then I sat down and I explained that I wanted to do this project. All right, Liza, 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 we have a hard stop here, but hang on. We, can okay. you stay with us through the commercial break? I will. Because I want to get the ending of this story. I say, hold it right there. You're about to sit down with the family. We'll be right back in Rudy Max's world with Liza Carter, author of the. The season's portrait of a Mongolian family. Don't touch that dial. We'll be back. To participate in the program and speak with Rudy Maxa, call 800 387 8025 or email the show at info at rudymaxa.com.
To join Rudy Maxa, call 800-387-8025. You can email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. Now back to Rudy Maxa's World. We're in the middle of a conversation with Liza Carter. She's the author of a new book called Moving with the Seasons, Portrait of Mongolian Family. And she was just telling me how she located that family she wanted to work with. She met them at basically a... Well, a horse race, for lack of a better phrase, and uh, saw a particularly friendly face of a young woman has come in to meet their family. They've had a couple cocktails, so to speak, and uh, shared some food. And you said, hey, I want to follow you around for how long? Well, what I said is I was very interested in documenting their life to share with the rest of the world. And they um, just completely became an integral part of the whole process. They have a a tremendous interest in actually Native American cultures in the U.S. There's a lot of similarities. And so they were very interested in learning about um, what happened in the U.S. and also to share their life. And so um, they just took me in, and I was there for for all the different seasons of the year over a course of four years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I went to school with the girls, and I was in their winter camping areas, and you know, there in the springtime helping with the, you know, the castration of the, that year's sheep and goats. So I had a, I had an amazing, amazing, inclusive time with this family. They were absolutely lovely. Well, you can see photographs of, of those uh, seasons that uh, Liza Carter spent. Her book is uh, With the Family, and really a terrific, a handsome book about, about a, a very different culture, obviously, than most of us live in. Moving with the Seasons, Portrait of a Mongolian Family is the name. The website, for more information, is movingwiththeseasons.com. Uh, Liza, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I, do, I appreciate your being here, and good luck with the book. Thanks so much. Brian Kelly is a frequent guest on the show. He's a travel expert. He's founder uh, of the website, thepointsguy.com. And, uh, Brian, it was a big week. There was a Delta thing. Let's deal with that in a minute. But also, American Airlines sort of said, oh, by the way, those, uh, those bereavement fares, somebody dies in the family, you need a last-minute ticket, uh, we're phasing those out. Uh, what's your take on that? It has been a negative week for consumers, <laughs> for, you know, for those grieving. And uh, also, there's a lot of us grieving that our frequent flyer miles are going to be worth a lot less. So, you know, starting with American, I think we're really starting to see here, you know, U.S. Airways management is now running the airline, and they're aligning a lot of their policies, to my chagrin, uh, to U.S. Airways, which I think is a less uh, flyer-friendly airline than American. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the bereavement fares in general, they were never really that good of a deal, True. Um, but I do think actually a bigger announcement that they made a day after that is that they're, they're jacking up the price of their choice fare. So, uh, the last American, minute ticket. Yeah. Uh, and also, American sells this add-on to their fares where you get bonus miles and more flexibility. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, they're drastically increasing the price of those options. So, uh, you know, across the board this week, we've, we've seen an erosion in consumer benefits. Did you see that uh, headline in The Onion this week? Oh, yeah, air pressurization now. For American Delta. Airlines to phase out complimentary <laughs> out cabin that, yeah. pressurization, right? I mentioned it yeah. earlier in the show. All right, Delta, just give me a couple, just do your wrap on, on Delta's decision in 2015 to start giving more miles to folks who pay more money for their tickets than those of us who try to buy ahead and accumulate miles by taking long trips cheaply. Well, Delta made a big move with, yeah, basically, instead of how far you fly, it's how much you spend, which could benefit some people. And, you know, basically, if if you pride yourself on getting good airfare, you're going to lose out. However, there's two main sides to frequent flyer miles, right? So it's earning them, but it's also redeeming. Delta mentioned, oh, by the way, there's going to be some major changes (laughs) on the redemption side, but we're not going to tell you until the end of 2014. So I can't justify whether this is a – I can't tell if this is a good or bad change for business travelers – because, you know, if they increase the rate of earning for business travelers and, you know, those people who spend a lot by, let's say, 30% in general, 
but they devalue or increase the amount of miles you need by 50%, this could be a bad change for everyone. So Delta's kind of only showed half their hand here, but I do not think this is a good change, uh, and, and it's a bad direction for the loyalty world in general, in my opinion. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, agree more, and we talked at the top of the hour with, uh, um, or actually it was the last hour, we talked with Andrew from Points and Miles and Martinis, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he said, you know, if, if it was going to be good news about the number of miles, uh, you know, you, um, uh, they would have included it. And, you exactly. Know, Delta, dumped, Delta dumped this news at midnight on a Tuesday. You know, that, that, that sounds... Uh, you know, who so dumps let, a really positive press re- press release at midnight on a Tuesday night? To you know, right. everyone kind of scrambled to read through, and it's been confusing. And this, remember, this is not their first announcement. They've had about seven other negative announcements, which I covered on my blog yesterday. Um, so this is just you know. Yeah, and and they also this, portrayed this as improvements in your frequent flyer right. program because beautiful, it's going to be beautiful PR spin. You know, they may right. win PR PR spin of the year, but definitely not frequent flyer program. Right. So the idea is let us spend uh, 6 weeks fuming over this and then we'll get exhausted of fuming and then in about and we'll 3 months they'll say and, and by we'll... the way, here's the new award schedule. Oh, I'm sorry that we've raised uh, the number of miles you need on something. Then we can fume well, about that. Delta's raising the amount of miles you need twice. They raised it February 1st a little bit to Hawaii and other awards and then come right. June the price of awards to Europe jacks up as well. And then potentially at the end of the year. So maybe third time's a charm for <laughs> yeah. Evaluations with Delta. All right, Brian, tell listeners where they can read that blog you posted uh, on Friday. Thepointsguy.com. We update every day covering all the news and, and top ways to redeem your miles and, and earn them as well. And this is a free blog, by the way. I mean, go and read free it. Tight, and I yep. got I got to tell you, I get it uh, every day, and it's, it's, I'm always learning stuff. Brian, I really appreciate your stopping by. Thanks for having me, Rudy. Safe travels. Brian, you as well. Brian Kelly is the expert and the founder, uh, expert on frequent flyer miles of thepointsguy.com. I know we didn't have time for deals a week, but let me just tell you one quick one. Hilton has announced that worldwide, if you're a Little League member or a fan of Little Leagues, all you have to do is say you're a fan of Little Leagues, you'll get 15% off the best rates you can find at the hotel. The code is PGLLO1. Just say I'm a fan of Little Leagues, save 15% on... Uh, your stay at Hilton. Thank you, Jeff Ryder, my engineer, Janet Acevedo McDonald, my executive producer. See you next week. You've been listening to Rudy Max's World, and as always, you're hearing must-hear radio on the SSI Radio Network.